0: Merry, wish you a Merry Christmas this evening. We are here to celebrate something remarkable. And I want to welcome all of our campuses as well as our online viewers. I know we have a lot of people tuning in online and so glad that you decided to join us to celebrate. The reason for the season, perhaps maybe later this evening or maybe tomorrow, you're going to be exchanging gifts uh, to remind each other of God's love for you and your love for other people. Um, Perhaps you're giving your gifts to your kids. My kids asked for something pretty big this year. Uh, My kids asked for a, they said that nothing would make them happier than a PS5. So I decided as a good dad that I would get them nothing. Some of you are going to take a little bit longer to get that joke. Nothing would make them happier than a PS5. Um, Just joking. They didn't say that. Uh, Ethan, don't get your hopes up, okay? But, uh, But when I think about Christmas, I'm so grateful that we serve a God that doesn't give us nothing. He gives us everything. He gives us the perfect gift. He gives us exactly what we need And what we could not go without. And so tonight, we're here to celebrate that gift. We're here to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you could imagine with me for a moment at all of our locations. Imagine if there was an alien, okay? Maybe something more realistic. Imagine if there was a a person from an unreached country who came to our country. Someone who didn't know anything about Christmas. And they came to our culture, our country, and they witness what we do around this time of year. Based on what they saw and based on what they experienced, what do you think? What do you think they would think that Christmas is all about? Um, perhaps for that alien or for that person from an unreached country, maybe they would think that Christmas is all about this guy uh, or this guy. Better yet, Pastor Stu. So those who don't know, this is our Arcade Campus Pastor. Very strong resemblance to the big guy, okay? Just saying, it's probably the beard. Uh, but Pastor Stu, shout out to you. Uh, or perhaps that alien or a person from an unreached country, if they went into your house, they would conclude that Christmas must be about trees, Right? Because we all got one in the living room. Trees that are decorated with bulbs and lights and gifts underneath those trees. So that must be what Christmas is all about. Or perhaps if they drove, drove down your street, we have some beautiful houses that are decorated. They might conclude that Christmas is about decorations and, and lights and putting sh- things all over your house and figures all over your yard. That must be what Christmas is all about. If they came to my house, you know, what you would conclude, not even just nailing, but you might conclude that Christmas is all about when you open my refrigerator, Christmas must be about eggnog. Any eggnog fans out there this evening? Yeah, I, I love me some eggnog. I love eggnog. got to have eggnog this time of year. Or perhaps they might go outside and see kids throwing snowballs and playing in the snow and sledding down hills, and so they might conclude that's what this Christmas season is all about. Uh, or f- for you, maybe tonight you're going to gather as a family, or maybe tomorrow evening you're going to gather as a family around the dinner table, just like this family. <laughs> Remember this family? Classic, classic movie. And so people might conclude that that's what Christmas is all about, these family gatherings. Perhaps they might even come over to someone's yard and they see this huge manger scene set up in there. We have a beautiful one over in our neighborhood and you look at it In the center of that scene is what? It's a baby. You got barn animals all around and everybody's looking. So maybe they would conclude that Christmas is about a baby. But I wonder if that alien maybe that person from an unreached country, would come to the conclusion that Christmas is ultimately about a king who has come to save his people from disaster. See, beyond all the tinsel and tradition, what we're here to celebrate tonight is something life-changing, world-altering, history-transforming what we're here to celebrate tonight is amazing. So tonight I want to preach a very simple uh, message for you this, this evening to kind of recenter our focus before we get into all the tradition that we partake in, to recenter our focus of what Christmas is all about. And so I'm going to preach one verse from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You may be familiar with this verse. Perhaps you've seen it on a Christmas card or a coffee mug. And when I say one verse, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a short sermon. So buckle up, okay? Um, But I think we're going to get a lot out of this verse for Christmas and understand why we celebrate Christmas. So here's what Isaiah, the prophet, says some 700 years before the birth of Christ. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This one power-packed verse contains what we need to know about Christmas. And if I could summarize that verse in one word, it would be this word, government he's a little nervous now, right? What is he going to say? How's that for a Christmas message? Pastor, you mean to tell me we're going to talk about government on Christmas Eve? I know, I know. There's, there's things that you should not talk in a, at a holiday gathering. There's probably three things you should never say at a holiday gathering. Faith, religion, and politics, and we're going to nail all three tonight, right? At least two out of three, because I'm not talking about politics, so relax, Okay. There's a difference between government and politics, but it's hard to tell the Christmas story without talking about government. Because here's the thing. Well, Christmas, as much as Christmas is about a baby, it's also about a king. As much as we talk about Christmas being about this baby coming to us, it really has to do about this king, this child, this son that Isaiah prophesies about, some seven Hundred years before Christ was actually born is not just about a baby. Rather, it's about a prophesied king who would come to establish his everlasting kingdom and everlasting government to take everything that is wrong and make it right again. The reality is, throughout history, to give you a little history lesson, you know this if you've gone to high school, you kind of studied history, you know that there's been kingdoms and, and kings. Governments that have been established throughout the world that have promised peace. They've promised prosperity. They've promised protection. And at some point, every single one of them, even the best governments, even the best kings, even the best kingdoms, at some point, they've all fallen short. I'm I'm grateful that we live in the the land that we do. I'm, I'm grateful for representative democracy. I think it's one of the best governments that has ever existed in the history of the world. And yet, even within a democracy, it falls short of perfection. And so Isaiah says these words, a child is born. A child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, what you're going to notice about this verse, it starts off as the typical Christmas story, right? It's what we celebrate. A child is born. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, the one that hung the stars in the sky, the eternal God, right, that we celebrate and worship, he came to us as a child. He didn't enter into time and space as a king on a throne, but in the most unusual and unexpected way, Isaiah says, a child was born to us. But here's what is unusual. Here's what is so unexpected about this child. What he says is, the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Many babies, if you think about it, have been born throughout human history. And many babies have eventually become kings or presidents or leaders. But this is the first baby who actually was born a king. And the reason why he was born a king was to save his people from something terrible. To literally, literally carry the weight of the world on his shoulder. Church, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about a king who has come to save his people. Christmas is about a king that has come to bear the burden of their sin. Christmas is about a king who has come to establish his everlasting government and everlasting rule. Now, let me tell you why this is important to you. Okay, Let me tell you why this is very, very important for your life. When Isaiah prophesies about this newborn king and this upcoming government or ruling authority, he's not just referring to a government that's, that's designed to rule the masses, which is true. He's also talking about a governing, ruling, reigning authority of our own hearts as individuals. Or if I, if I could put it this way, God gives us a king to govern our lives. And there's two paths here. For those of you who know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, worship Jesus, you have a king, and his name is Jesus. And so you worship King Jesus. And there are some people here today, maybe listening online to this message, who haven't come into a relationship with Jesus yet. Uh, You've heard about Christianity, you've heard about Jesus, you've kind of read some verses in the Bible, but you have not yet surrendered to him. You like the idea of Savior Jesus, but he's also Lord and Savior. He's the master of our, and you haven't entered into that relationship with him. And there's a lot of, the reality is there's a lot of different things that can govern our lives. There's a lot of different things that we can pursue. But if you have not bowed your knee to King Jesus, here's who you have on the throne. King Self. And every single one of us, especially those of you who know Jesus, you know who's the better king. And you know how king's self leads to loneliness and exhaustion and despair. And so don't miss this. The central question that you and I need to wrestle with this evening is who's going to be king? Who's going to be king? And who is most qualified to rule your life? And Isaiah... 700 years before the birth of Christ, a long, long time ago, is going to try to convince us tonight that the answer to that question is not you. And he's going to do so by giving you four names, four phrases that we've just read this evening. Uh, Four bullet points on this king's resume to say, he's a better king than you. He's more qualified to rule your life. And what's interesting about these four phrases that we're going to talk about tonight, the remainder of our time together, there's a human side side to the name, kind of a human side to his name that we can all relate to because we know what he's talking about. And then there's a divine side that is wholly other than us that we know that we can't live up to, but we absolutely long for. And the, the first picture that Isaiah gives to us of this king is number one, a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor, um, if you think about it, governments typically rise and fall on the quality of their leadership. They rise and fall on the counsel or the decision-making of their government. And if there was one nation that knew this full well, it was the nation of Israel. Uh, they had good kings and they had bad kings. And the bad kings were really, really bad. The bad kings actually led their people into captivity, into slavery. And so Isaiah is giving these people a picture of a better king, a good and godly king that they can put their hope in, and he says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. Now, on the human side, was a counselor? We know what a counselor is. If you have issues that you need to work through, you need to, someone to talk to and listen, you go to a counselor because a counselor is going to give you correction. A counselor is going to give you wisdom. A counselor is going to give you guidance. In fact, a good counselor, what a counselor is going to do is listen to your story first, get to know who you are before providing counsel to you. They get to know you. What better counselor do we have than Jesus, who knows literally the number of hairs on your head, or for some of you, the lack thereof, right? I know I'm, I'm balding, too. I, can, I relate. But he knows everything about us. In fact, Hebrews even tells us that we have a high priest. We have a Savior who is able to sympathize with our very weaknesses, It says that we have a Savior who is tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. He went through the same trials and temptation that we went through and didn't falter or fall. And so he's able to step into our time of need and trouble and temptation and to help us. He knows us and he gets to know us before he provides counsel and he tells us what we need to hear. But he's not just the counselor. What I love about what Isaiah says is that he's a wonderful counselor. And that term in the Hebrew is not just stating that he's a really good counselor. You should go to him. I would refer to you to him. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying he's a really good counselor. He's not saying he's a really nice counselor. When Isaiah uses this term wonderful, he's stating a point that the God we serve does wonder and awe in our life that causes us to step back and say, "This this, this God is different. I mean, if you had an issue, if you had a problem, if you were going through tough times, and some of you are, some of the people in our church have gone through some tragedy this month where they've lost a loved one, who have passed away, and they're sad, they're broken. Some of you are dealing with sickness. Some of you are dealing with a relational breakup right now, and it's difficult. If you would take a step back and get some perspective tonight of who we're worshiping, We serve a wonderful counselor who you can go to each and every day of our lives, that you have access to, who provides guidance and help in your time of need. Rest when you're weary. Who else would you go to? As James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks anything, we have a God that we can go to because he is faithful. He is a wonderful counselor. The second picture Isaiah gives us of this coming king is that of a, a mighty God. A mighty God, which I think this is, this is interesting. Um, mighty God, baby in a manger. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other, right? I mean, what I think is interesting is that Isaiah says that this baby, let's think of a name. This baby is going to be called mighty. And yet babies are not mighty except for this baby. This baby is incredibly Mighty. It's incredible to think about, in fact, if you think about a picture of baby Jesus holding onto Mary's finger as a baby. That very same finger was the one that made the heavens and the earth. If that doesn't cause some awe and wonder in your soul. I don't know what will. We serve a mighty God. Now, when you think of that term, mighty, um, we can relate to that. We think of a mighty soldier who runs into the battle. He doesn't run away from the war. He runs into the war. He's strong, courageous. He's selfless. He looks out for the good of others. But even the mightiest of men or the mightiest of women eventually age. The youth of a strong person eventually turns into scar tissue and arthritis, does it not? For all of us. I mean, I have a hard time bending over to tie my shoe. It's, the struggle is real, right? Back pain soreness in every part of my body. We know that full well, and, but yet we serve not just someone who's mighty, we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. Unlike human warriors, this mighty king has unmatched power. He is without limitations. And one of my favorite characteristics, he is intimidated by no one or nothing. In fact, one of the greatest pictures of Jesus that we have in the entire Bible is in Revelation chapter 19 where we see this picture of Jesus on a white war horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, defeating his enemies of sin, Satan, and death. Isn't that amazing? Nothing says Merry Christmas like a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, right? Mighty God we serve. But why is this picture of a mighty God so important to us? Why Why is this name so important for us tonight to grasp onto? The answer is, and you know this full well, If 2022, 2021, 2020 taught us anything, we're not going to win all of our battles. So we need someone to fight for us, to watch over us, to be our rock, to be our strong tower. And Jesus is just that. He tells his disciples, he tells us that in this world, we will have trouble. And then the very next phrase out of his mouth, he says, but take heart, I've overcome this world, We serve a God who is mighty, we serve a God who stands undefeated, and we worship him tonight. Amen? So that when we have problems, when we're going through turmoil, temptation, stress, when it's just bad and life stinks. We don't pray to a God who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We also don't pray to a God who's not able to do anything about our weakness. He's powerful and he's mighty. That's the second picture that Isaiah gives to us of this coming king. The third picture that, that he gives us is that of an everlasting father, which is kind of, it's kind of weird, a um, little bit confusing to, to think about as Jesus is an everlasting father because when we think about Jesus, we often think about Jesus as the, the son distinct from the father. So we have to ask the question, like, what, what's going on here? Um, if you're new to the Bible, new to Christianity, perhaps you need to understand that the Bible, while not explicitly using the term Trinity, does refer to God as a Trinitarian God. So when we use that term Trinitarian God or Trinity, what we're referring to is one God, one God in three persons. Next slide, guys. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, obviously being the Son, distinct from The Father. And so what is going on here? If Jesus is the Son, how can we refer to him as an everlasting Father? Well, we can refer to Jesus as an everlasting Father, distinct from God the Father, for two reasons. One... Jesus perfectly represents what the Father is like. While he was on this earth, and we have the record of while he was on this earth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he perfectly represents what Jesus is like. In fact, he even says this in John chapter 14, verse 9. This is Jesus' own words. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What is God like? What his character and nature is like? What is his heart like? We know, even though we have not seen God, we know because we've seen Jesus. And he represents our heavenly father. The second reason we can say that Jesus is is like an everlasting father, his name shall be called everlasting father, is because he's a good, good father. Like he represents everything that a good, good father should be. That's how scripture describes him. And that is our experience of him. He is a good, good father. So what does Jesus do? He's a father of his family, the church. He speaks identity in the church. He watches over his church. He provides and protects for his church. He's like the rock for our church. He's the senior pastor of our church. Like he's the leader of the church. That's who Jesus is. He's a good father. And so a good father is relationally engaged. Uh, A good father provides and protects for his family. A good father is tough towards his enemies, but tender towards his kids. That's what a good father is. But here's the thing. Even though we can relate to Jesus being a father, because some of us are fathers, everybody had a father, sometimes not a good father, other times a good father that we're thankful for, the reality is Jesus is unlike any of us as fathers. Whereas we get exhausted, especially those of you who have young kids, you will be exhausted tomorrow morning, I I guarantee that. Jesus never grows weary. Even though we have limitations, Jesus has no limitations. And even though for all of us, whether through death or just seasons of life, we will be one day separated from our children from some degree or another. Jesus is always present with his kids. He is an everlasting father, which means he's constant and he's consistent. He never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's available all the time. All the time. The disciple said, teach us, Lord, how to pray. And what does he say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have a dad that we can cry out to, Abba, Father, any time of day, because he's always there for us. I love that picture that Isaiah gives us of this coming king. And finally, Isaiah says this king will be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Um, Unless you live under a rock, you know that the world is kind of lacking some peace nowadays. Whether it's wars or rumors of wars, whether it's snowflakes or snowstorms or blizzards for that matter, whether it's bullying or backstabbing, we experience a lack of peace at every level in our world today. Well, The good news of Christmas is there's coming a day when the Prince of Peace will return. That should make our hearts leap with joy. Like That should cause the despair that we feel in this world because of a lack of peace. To turn around because God is coming and He is the Prince of Peace. And when that day comes, everything that brings darkness and chaos in our world will be gone. It will be no more. And so Isaiah uses this phrase, um, Prince of Peace to describe this this coming king, and we we know what a prince is. In fact, in the Hebrew language, a prince just means what we would think it would mean. It means someone who oversees. It's a ruling or governing authority. A a good prince should look out for the good of his people. Um, However, we know this full well, too. Leaders, presidents, kings, um, dictators. With power comes corruption a lot of times. With too much power, with no accountability, it can lead to corruption. As the saying goes, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But here's the thing. Jesus is not like any human prince. He is not stained by sin. He is not corrupted by sin, but he leads with a perfect, peaceful heart. And so he says that he's a prince of peace, which this term, if you've heard it before, in Hebrew it's the word shalom. Uh, shalom means peace it means wholeness it means safety and so while jesus holds all power and authority literally there's no other higher ranking official he is the king of kings and lords of lord lord of lords he is not corrupted by sin and he's able therefore to lead his people into perfect peace Uh, jesus even said these words in john chapter 14 i love this verse it says peace i leave with you he's talking to his disciples we're a little anxious right we get anxious sometimes And he says, my peace I give to you. Church, we need his peace. Like, we absolutely need his peace. And the good news of Christmas, he gives his peace in two incredible ways. At Jesus' first coming, he came to bring peace with God. Number one peace that we need is peace with God. And at Jesus' first coming, that's what he came to provide for us. 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth to die for the sins of the people. The sins of the world, because our sins separated us from a perfect and holy God. Let me ask you, what other worldly leader does that? This is our governing authority. This is our ruling, reigning, governing prince of our lives. What other ruling, reigning, governing authority in this world dies for lawbreakers, dies for the people who have literally broken the law that the prince has set up? No one. But yet this king is different. This prince is different. He literally dies for lawbreakers so that those lawbreakers could be made in right relationship with him once again. It's incredible. It's what um, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The apostle Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's expressing who Jesus is. So if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. That's what faith is. The outcome of that is we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The the way that we can have peace with God is through Jesus and what He's done for us. So let me recap. At Jesus' first coming, He came to bring peace with God. But at Jesus' second coming, He brings an everlasting peace. What does that mean? That means when Jesus returns, there will be no sin, there will be no more hatred. Or wars, or rumors of wars, or hate, or fear, or panic, or worry, or political division, or dare I say, family drama. Sorry if you have to endure that this next few days, right? It won't be any of that. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes, he will bring a peace on every single level that we long for. Listen, church, the peace that we long for, the peace that you long for in your life, is not going to be found in better circumstances. I'm sorry. It's not going to be found in a bigger bank account, and it's not going to be found in a new election. It's not. The peace that you and I long for will only be found in the presence of one person, and that is the Prince of Peace. So over 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah echoed these words. He prophesied these words. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. That's what Christmas is all about. It's an incredible thing that we celebrate tonight. The God who made man became a man in order to save men. The God who had all power and authority emptied himself of what he rightly deserved to be born in a trough, in a manger so that he could save his people from his sin. We serve a God who is a wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace who came to bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. So more than just a baby, here's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about a king. But the question still remains, is he your king? Is he your king? You know, for many years of my life, almost two decades of my life, I decided that the best king for my life was King Self. And I made decisions so that I could be in control and be prideful, and all it led me to be was messed up, stressed out, strung up. It was was a wreck. I made much of me, little of others, was so full of pride, and didn't want to have anything to do with God. But when I finally surrendered to Jesus and bowed my knee to King Jesus, he has led me like a good king ever since. He's a good king. And so it's either King Jesus or King self. But here's the thing, there's there's not room for, for two people on the throne. So the question that I have for you is, if Jesus really is the king, am I the best person to rule my life? Like if he really is king, you and I need to ask ourselves, am I, am I the most qualified to rule my life? And Isaiah says, no, you're not. You're not the most qualified. So the invitation is um, simple tonight. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, honor him as such. Not just tonight and not just Sunday, not just next Sunday, not, the, not just January 1st. Hopefully all of you will be here at church. You know, we have perfect attendance for 2023. But, but every day. Like, honor him as such. Respond to this message. Worship him. Walk in obedience to his word. Follow his ways. And honor him as your kid, king. Live in the joy of your salvation every single day. Honor him as your king. If you haven't acknowledged to, uh, Jesus as your king... Here's the invitation for you. Respond to this message of grace. Receive his offer tonight. Through faith, that you would cry out to him, recognizing that your sin separates you from a perfect and holy God. That you, through faith, would cry out to him and ask him to forgive you of your sin, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to walk in obedience, to get into his word, and to follow his ways. I promise you, if you're looking for a good king, you won't find anyone better. I've been following this king for 26 years now, and he has led like a good king ever since. He is worthy of our worship, and he's worthy of our adoration. Amen? And uh, maybe for some here in this room, or perhaps at all, all of our locations or someone watching online, God is calling out to you tonight to receive him as your king. He's drawing your heart. He's tugging you. You don't even know why you came here tonight. Someone dragged you here because you wouldn't get fed otherwise or you'd be left out of a will maybe. I don't know. But they got you here and you're hearing this message of hope. You're hearing this message of grace that God loves you. He died for you. He sent his son to pay a penalty that you deserve because of your sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He literally takes the wrath of God so that you don't have to. And if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord... And believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, proving his power over sin and death. Defeating our greatest enemy, which is the very thing that separated us from God. So that when we stand before a perfect and holy God at the end of our lives, we will be declared, as Paul says, justified. Free. Forgiven. Pure. Holy. Not because of what we've done. But because of a wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. If you haven't received him, this is your time to do that. So with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm inviting you to pray a prayer that represents what God is doing in your heart, to ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sin, and walk in worship and love and obedience to him from this day forward. If God is calling you to do that, would you, would you silently pray to yourself as I pray out loud and lead you through this prayer. Pray something like this Dear Jesus, I'm starting to understand in this moment why you came, that Christmas is not just about a baby, certainly not about that other trivial stuff, but it's about a king who sets up his ruling government, his everlasting kingdom to rule not just the masses, but the individual heart. And my heart is broken tonight over my sin. Recognizing that all, all those things that I'm ashamed of have separated me from you. But yet I'm also hearing your, your love calling me to yourself. I'm beginning to understand that when you died on that cross, it was for me. And so tonight, Jesus, in faith I call out to you to be not just my Savior, but to be my Lord. To forgive me of all my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and to make me right with God the Father. Jesus, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me live for you from this moment forward. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Friends, if you just prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor on the back side of your connection card, or perhaps if you're watching online, you can email us at info at crosstownalliance.com. But if you're here today with us, you can on, on the back side of your connection card, there's a next step that says, I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to become a Christian for the first time. And on your way out this evening, you can drop that in with an usher uh, collecting those cars or in the black boxes in the foyers. Let us know. We would love not just for you to pray a prayer but for you to help get started in your walk with the lord literally be a disciple to literally follow jesus and uh we'd love to answer any questions that you might have give you a bible answer questions that you have about the bible and uh, encourage you to continue growing in your walk with the lord uh, for those of you who perhaps know jesus jesus is king he's on your throne I think the only reasonable response is to do exactly what the shepherds did 2,000 years ago, which is to rejoice, be glad, and to worship our great God and King. And so with everybody at all of our campuses, would you please stand? We're gonna have a special moment where we light candles and worship Jesus. Our ushers can make their way forward to the front at all of our locations, as well as the back, and you guys can meet in the middle. Uh, Ushers and people, what they'll do is light the person in the inner aisle, and then whoever's in the inner aisle, you'll be responsible to light the people in your aisle. And uh, you guys can light your candles now. uh, At all of our campuses, you can begin uh, dimming your lights, and I will pray for us as we close. Lord, thank you so much for, Lord, thank you so much for you being the light of the world. This is a, a representative thing that we celebrate tonight, that we lived in darkness for many years. This world lived in darkness, and for us, we lived in darkness, many of us for decades. But you lit up our world, you gave blind people their sight, you regenerated hearts, and we worship you because of that tonight. It's not because of us, it's because of the light of the world that stepped into darkness to save people from their sin, that we get to sing and to celebrate. We ask that during this time you would be worshiped, that your heart would be glad through the songs that we sing. Lord, we love you, we celebrate you tonight, and it's in Jesus' name we ask this, amen.